Hey, everybody. Just to let you know, this podcast may contain some adult or possibly offensive language. No nudity, though. <laughs> Unless you're thinking about naked people. I was like, Dad, I have a job with Spike Lee. <laughs> what, what did he say? And he was like, so you're not going to become a doctor, eh? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 it's a spike. And uh, is he going to put you in film to be doctor, eh? I was like, no. One more, one more. He's like, right, right, right. Uh, you're getting no money from me. Hey, yo, 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 and yo, yo, yozers. Shut, you haven't this season quite given them the proper 90s yo, yo, yo signature. I kind of feel like it's time to move on from that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's up, everybody? This is Stretch Armstrong. And my name is Bobito Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. Together, we are the host of... What's Good with with Stretch and Bobito. Bobito. Wow, that was perfect, Stretchy. Harmonize. Today, we have a phenomenal guest. I am blown away by her accomplishments already. Uh, Let me just run down a couple of them for you. Top 40 Executives Under 40 by Billboard Magazine. Most Exciting Personality in Advertising by Adweek. She is the former head of music and entertainment at PepsiCo. She was the marketing director for Apple Music. Was the former chief brand officer at a little company known as Uber. And she is currently the chief marketing officer, CMO, at Endeavor Entertainment. Her responsibilities are great. uh, And her name is... Bozuma St. John. In addition to having just the the boss-ass resume of all time, (laughs) she's also had a really fascinating life story. uh, And she has occupied the space um, as an executive in a very unique and powerful way. And we're going to get into that with her. I I would say groundbreaking, really. Pioneering? Yeah. I mean, she she is carving her own path. Breaking the mold. Bozuma St. John, coming up. We'd like to say a quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, Sony Music Latin, presenting Grammy Award-winning artist Ile, a Puerto Rican singer and composer known for her work with Calle 13. Her debut album, Elevitable, garnered her a Best New Artist nomination at the Latin Grammys. It also won the award for the Best Latin Rock, Urban, or Alternative Album at the 60th Annual Grammy Awards. Her new single and video, titled Odeo, is available everywhere now. Some things were meant for each other. Fries and milkshakes, selfies and duck face. And now, what's good with Stretch and Bobito and Spotify? Yes, the same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to ours, search for What's Good with Stretch and Bobito, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now. And now... And now. I'm Felix Contreras. This week on Alt Latino, El Tiny. We're going to dig into the Tiny Desk concert archives and play some of the Latin music artists who have stood behind Bob Boylan's desk and serenaded us. Don't miss El Tiny on the next Alt Latino. Check it out. rolled up here dolo um i mean outside of the, the film oh no no no, no 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 i have a thousand people following me all the time you know what i'm saying i'm an entourage don't get it confused makeup is downstairs okay okay the, the voice you just heard is the voice of someone that we've been really looking forward to sitting with it's 
Network. It's the one and only Bozma St. John. Yeah. Welcome to What's Pa-pa. Good with Stretch and Bobito. Thank Word you. Woo-hoo. Ow. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, looking at your Instagram feed, Ooh, Lord. Um, you Danger. see a woman who doesn't really look like the typical executive. Word up. <laughs> Deliberately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you could just get into that a little bit, like yeah. you're incredibly radiant and you're impossible to miss. I mean, you're 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 stunning. Really? You wear incredibly <laughs> colorful clothes. You're mm-hmm. very tall. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't like the typical executive. Really? Right. Maybe it should be. Well, okay. <laughs> well, can, you, mean, can you talk, talk about, about that? that? Yeah. You're making it. You're making it. Yeah, yeah. It should be. It should be. Well, I just feel like you know, when I was younger and starting out, I was looking, you know, to people who I thought were successful, and then trying to mold myself after them. But they were a lot of like, like who? white men in oh. gray suits, you know, because that's who the CEOs were and the CMOs. And they were all very buttoned up and no one looked the way that I hoped to look like, you know, because my idols were fashionistas and musicians and Flojo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Flojo, Flojo for real. I mean, it's like even, you know, the way I do my nails, the way I wear my hair, very much patterned after her. Wait, let me see your nails. Oh. Pow! Stilettos. (laughs) These are also weapons. But yeah, I just just didn't see anyone that looked the way I wanted to look. And I tried for a while to look like the people that I thought were successful and therefore what I needed to look like. And I was unsuccessful (laughs) at that. You know, it was just really a disaster. I, I wasn't interesting. There was, you know, none of my personality came out because I was so busy trying to be something else, you know, and I was really uncomfortable in it. So I spent all my energy trying not to be uncomfortable. How, what a waste of time. Was there a day when you're like, you know what? Yo, you're looking is... at your closet, like yeah. all these gray suits, and oh. you're like, nah. Yo, yeah. true story. I woke up one day, no clean shirt, like zero. And for a second, I thought I could just spray some perfume on something, you know what I mean? And make it work. Uh, what is that, Febreze? Yeah, you know what I mean? Well, there ain't no Febreze back then, okay? That's it hadn't been invented yet. That's called, that's called, they call it the, the French bath. Yeah. You know, I was like, French just, shower. Excuse yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Just the spritz a little Sorry, bit. Sorry, French people. <laughs> you know, spray a little something on there, get yeah. it clean. Uh, but also, you know, black girl makeup. So it wasn't happening. It just looked dirty. So what I had was like this flowery printed shirt that I actually really loved. And I thought, well, if I don't have the white shirt, I'm just going to go with the thing I really love. Because if I'm going to get like looked at funny, at least I want to be looked at funny in wearing something I really love. Mm. Uh, and so I wore that to the office. And where, where was this at? At Pepsi. Got you. And it, I mean, when I, I mean, listen, people were walking around with like, you know, the khaki with the line down the front, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no type situation, <laughs> blue button down. Yeah. 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 And so no one was walking around in flowery shirt. And uh, I walked in, I got a couple of weird looks, but I felt so great that day. You know, I just, and I literally could not go back. Like I just couldn't do it. And by the way, I just think it has also much more psychological impact, you know, that if you're bringing the fullness of who you are superficially, then hopefully you're also doing that emotionally. And at a deeper level, you're also bringing the fullness of yourself. And you're not trying to pretend to be something else either. So maybe that also helps with our corporate environments and it allows for more diversity, not just of race and gender, but of ideas and experiences and all of that. Has your presence at these companies engendered that 
kind of freedom. I mean, do you, do you see so. that in the office? I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I constantly get that from young women, especially, you know, um, actually the other day, this young man at Endeavor, uh, Nigerian young man, he's an assistant, he's on the assistant desk. And uh, <laughs> I saw him in the elevator and he pointed to his ear and he had like this little earring in it and he was just like, I wore this because of you. I... And I was like, what? Like, really? like, I just, I love that so much. You know, I was like, that's, that's what I want on my resume. Not the companies. I want the resume that says like, I made a difference because I was there. What's your early uh, entrepreneurial endeavors yeah. preteen? Wow, preteen. You know, so I grew up in a house, very strict African parents, you know, from Ghana. Uh, they did not understand the concept of chores for money. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get that. Or they, no, no, no. There was no such thing. You know what I mean? It was like, you are lucky to be alive. <laughs> you are lucky to live here. You will do your part. You know what I mean? And uh, my, my mom was also very stereotypically and, you know, a Ghanaian mother who was raising four daughters who believed that they should cook and clean to the best of their ability, you know? Mm -hmm. But my first, like, paying job, I was actually an AT&T operator uh, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It was my first real job. And most of it was um, from the U.S. to Mexico, where the calls that I was getting. Mm -hmm. And so I would literally push the buttons to connect those calls. And sometimes I would have to sit on the call and wait to make sure that they reached the person they were getting, you know, because sometimes those calls wouldn't go through properly. And then, you know, you want somebody to lose their money. Yeah. So I would sit and wait to make sure they got the right person. So you mentioned Colorado Springs. Yes. What was junior high like for you? <laughs> it was <laughs> it was really strange, you know, because um, before that I'd lived mostly in Africa uh, and pretty internationally, you know, with like kids who were coming from a lot of different places. I think that's the misconception, you know, about Africa is that somehow like, you know, people who are there have never seen anything before. You know, they've never seen a white person before in their lives, mm -hmm. you know, like it's some sort of strange being. But no, it's very international. And so I was really shocked when I got to Colorado Springs and found out that people didn't have passports, you know, or mm -hmm. that had not traveled outside of Colorado. So that was really shocking to me that people didn't have a concept of anything outside of Colorado Springs uh, and also really believe the things they saw on TV about Africa because it was just such a different experience that I had, you know? So the questions I would get about, you know, like, when did you learn how to speak English? And I was like, uh, in my house, we speak foreign languages. Like, you know, or, <laughs> you know, or it was like, you know, oh, when was the first time you had clothes? And I was like, shut up. You know, like it was just it was just so shocking to me. But part of it was also the need to fit in. And so trying to find the points of connection, which, by the way, I feel like has really helped me throughout my life that it doesn't really matter if somebody doesn't hold the same belief systems as you or doesn't come from the same place that you do, there is going to be some connection. You just have to find it. Well, what were those connections that you found initially? Oh, my gosh. Colorado, Colorado so many Springs. different things. Um, I didn't know what football was, right, when I came. Like, football to me was soccer, obviously. <laughs> uh, and I didn't know that I would fall in love with John Elway, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, like, I really did, the you great, know? Uh, what was it, Denver Broncos Yes, uh, yes, yeah. the Broncos. Like, yeah. I love football now. Like, uh -huh. the Broncos are my team. There were certain artists that I was unfamiliar with. Obviously, in Ghana, you know, Michael Jackson and everybody else was, was hot. But, like, you know, Taylor Dane was somebody that I was like, whoa, 
Where did this person come from? You know what I mean? It was all of, you know, those types of things, dance moves and music and what was happening on MTV and the Denver Broncos and, you know, country music, which I also found I actually liked too, you know? Garth Brooks, what up? You know? I... <laughs> Bob? <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> um, I saw Spike Lee's new film, Black Klansman. Yes. And it was shot in, yes, yeah, it takes in place Springs. in Colorado Springs. And, uh, I, I didn't, wasn't aware that there was KKK in, in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. but w- at what point did you first cross paths with that sort of like closed-minded, yeah. ignorant, you know, yeah. sort of mindset? Well, it was way before Colorado Springs. When I was six, my father, who was a politician in Ghana, um, was thrown into political detention when the government was overthrown in a military coup d'etat. And my mom had to escape Ghana with me, my two younger sisters, and she was pregnant with my youngest sister. And we came to Washington, D.C. under political asylum. Unfortunately, it's like for me at six, you know, going to school, again, you would think that in a city that is so used to diplomats or used to people from international territories that, you know, you would be welcomed with open arms. But that wasn't the case. You know, people had very ignorant things to say and ignorant questions. People would say rude things to my mother. And I was just like, Do you know, like I want to say, you know who she is? <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't know who you're talking to. Yeah. yeah. yeah? Um, and so I was very aware early that people's, con- you know, misconceptions about blackness or about Africanness uh, was really real and that it wasn't often based on the truth or based on reality. So by the time I was 12 and by the time I got to Colorado Springs, you know, any of that kind of, you know, activity or harshness or misconception I was already prepared for. I already knew what was coming. So you you choose Wesleyan in Middletown, Connecticut. It's, I I attended there from eighty four to eighty eight. Hey hey. I'm wondering, did the quote unquote diversity university mm-hmm. and you know the place that probably coined political correctness is that what what drew you to the to the school? Huh. Well, okay. So it's kind of a complicated question because uh, little known fact, I was actually born at Wesleyan. Oh, word up. Yeah. My dad actually went to Wesleyan. He has a double PhD in ethnomusicology and anthropology at Wesleyan. Oh, wow. I decided I was not going to go to Wesleyan <laughs> because <laughs> of those reasons, you know? <laughs> there was just no way. And my dad forced me to go to Alumni Sons and Daughters Weekend uh, at Wes. And yeah, the rest is history. I went and I- You caught the bug? Oh, man. I made friends. I went to Malcolm X house. I was done. <laughs> I was finished. I was like, you mean I can live with all black kids and there's no one here to supervise us? I can play spades all day in the hallway? What? Oh, it was, it was over. It was done. Turn I was, on I was the Tupac. Yeah. Oh, yeah. listen. Okay. I was so ready. Oh, it was it was it was phenomenal. I heard that you. Oh, I read that you used to throw parties at. at yes. The house oh too. man, that was my that was my jam. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. threw parties. What year was this? Uh, well, I went there in ninety five yeah. to ninety nine. How come you didn't bring us up there? What's going on? <laughs> I know I should have. You know who I did bring up there though. <laughs> Again, little known fact: Jay Z. I. Yep. To Malcolm I mean, X house. To MoCon. Imagine. And people there were three people in the audience. 
It was a disaster. Okay, you're, you're exaggerating. Three. No, I'm telling you, man, it was me and like two other people. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Maybe a little exaggeration, but it was it was embarrassing. It was terrible. Um, it was terrible. It's all right though. It was a good it, experience. He I had got a good his time. Check. Yes. You moved to New York. What What was yeah. the decision? I mean, I, half the campus was from New York. You know, <laughs> yes. Anyhow. Yes. So. Half the campus was from New York. I idolized New York. My parents like were ruling with like an iron fist from all the way across the country. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I, you know, I was generally an obedient kid. You know, yeah. and so. Yeah. They said, don't go to New York. I didn't go to New York. You know, it was like I went one time with my best friend uh, who was from Brooklyn, from Bed-Stuy. Uh-huh. And she took me. My wallet was stolen. And then that was the end of that. <laughs> my parents <laughs> were like, see, we told you. You know? My father. Man, keeps oh on making God. it. Brooklyn keeps on taking wow. it. I mean, yeah. this is, <laughs> it was just. But I idolized New York. And so I, I absolutely had my, my sights set on moving to New York after graduating but I was supposed to go to med school, so I was just in a I was in a crisis. I didn't I didn't have a plan, <laughs> and my parents were like, "Well, you you have to go to school. Like you you're gonna do that." And I was like, "Okay, well, how about I take a year to get all of these like emotions out? You know, like I just want to like get all that childish stuff out. I'm gonna do it in New York." And they were like, "Okay, you could do that. We're not supporting that though." So no money for you. <laughs> so so all that childish stuff. What what is that? Oh well, I I thought it meant like just going out. Like, <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? You want a party? <laughs> yeah, I want a party. I wanted to like live in New York by myself. <laughs> you know, I just told my parents the childish stuff so that they would think I would get that all in my system and then go to med school and become a serious doctor somewhere. You know, some surgeon. Uh, but I definitely had other plans. I had one friend who had graduated the year before me and she was getting her MFA from Columbia. And so she had an apartment um, just above like one, like 126. Uh, there was this restaurant called Floridita that was no, right on the yeah, corner. Right? Yo, oh. Floridita saved my life, man. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I, I, when I tell you I had no money, I had no money. No money. $5. Listen, no, less than. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what I would do. There was a wonder. I wish I knew where she was now. There was uh-huh. this woman who um, worked there, you know, she worked behind the counter. She worked in like the area, they sold the rolls, you know, like by the entrance of the, yep, the yep, back of yep. the entrance. <laughs> and I would go back there and she would sell me, I don't, know if, I don't know if she was supposed to do it or not, but she would sell me a roll for 10 cents. Uh, and I would take that roll and I had temp jobs. And so I would go to whatever job I had that day and I would drink the tea or the hot chocolate and eat my roll. And sometimes that would be the only meal for the mm. day. While you're clubbing, while you're you've got no money, you're yeah. you're you're just trying to you're you're couch surfing. Is is this dark cloud this this like this bit of anxiety about mm. you realizing you're not going to go to medical school and I've got to talk to mom and dad about <laughs> right. this? Yeah, is that just yeah? Over oh, your that was head? over my head for sure. But I uh, maybe counterintuitively, it was also making me live very fast. You know, because I was like, "Ooh, this is gonna come to an end." So I gotta, like, you know what I mean? I gotta make, I gotta make the best of this. So I was living really, really fast, um, but also, you know, trying to make anything secure because I knew the only way to get out of it is I, if I actually had a plan for something else. Divine intervention happened one day when the temp agency said Spike Lee's office had called. He had fired his assistant. And he w- he needed someone to come answer the phones. And I was going to go in and do the best 
damn answering of phones that I could do. And this is at the DD, DDB yes, uh, yes. ad agency. Yeah, yeah. He had a, a joint venture with mm-hmm. DDB. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think the only reason I got that job was because I was black. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like the only black person at the temp agency. So they were like, send the black one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which was great. The only time being black has helped me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, Spike now, he, he loves to tell the story that uh, in the first few days, you know, he was writing Bamboozled at the time. And... He knew I was an English major and I was a pretty uppity English major, you know, felt like I knew everything. And he was like, fine, here, read this, you know, I think as a challenge. And I think he thought it would take me a couple of weeks. Well, no, I went home and like everything else, I'm very intense about it. And I read in two days. And by the way, when he said read it, I heard make edits. That's what I heard him say. <laughs> that's not what he said. And when I came back to the office, by the way, I made the edits in red pen. Like, I mean, this is legit. Like, why? Why would you do that? You know? So I gave, I, he's, he comes in the office and I'm like, oh, I finished reading the script. Here you go. You know? And first he looks at me like, nah, you couldn't have. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Yeah, I read the whole thing. And, yeah. and I made some edits to it. And that's when I knew I'd made a mistake. You know? He was like, you made edits to my script? <laughs> You know, and I was like, oh, was I not supposed to do that? That was what I was supposed to do? Like, you didn't want that, you know? But he Reaches like, for st- the oh, White House. Right, exactly. <laughs> he, he like storms up into his office. He slams the door. I definitely knew I was fired that day. So I started just grab my bag and I was sitting there waiting, you know, for him to come say, like, get the, you know, out of here. And I think he waited. He made me wait a long time on purpose. And he came out probably, you know, a few hours later. It felt like a year later, but he came out a few hours later and he was like, you made some good suggestions. Mm. You should stay here. And I was like, oh, I have a job. I have a job. I finally have a job. Yeah. And, and was that the job that put the battery in your back to tell your parents yes, that, that was it. plans that are was changing? It. Plans are changing. Plus, I, you know, dropped Spike's name heavy. You know, I called dad. I was like, dad, I have a job with Spike Lee. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did he say? And he was like, eh. So you're not going to become a doctor. Eh? <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. It's just like, uh, is he going to put you in film to be doctor? Eh? I was like, no. One more, one more. Exactly, right, right, right. Uh, you're getting no money from me. <laughs> and I was like, ah. So what, you know, what quirky run-ins did you have with his, aside from this oh moment, yeah. you know, because, I mean, Spike is beloved, particularly, you know, and the last uh, with Black Klansman, what mm. he did for uh, uh, the Netflix series with yes. the, uh, she's got to have yes. it, and I mean he's just like super yeah. on top right now. But you know, a lot of people don't know. Like, yo, Spike has his moments where he could be a little bit of an asshole. Oh you know? man, yeah. yeah. I mean, he likes his way, his way, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And he loves to teach tough lessons. Probably one of the biggest lessons I learned, or one of the quirks, uh, was that I at one point quit working at the agency because I thought I wanted to be a writer. And he was like, you don't know anything about writing. You know, he was like, you think you do, but you don't. He's like, you're a good editor. You're not a great writer. So I quit. And it was terrible. Like, you know, two months of like sitting in cafes. Like, you know, I was wearing a black t-shirt. Thought I was, you know, super cute. I was doing it for the looks, not really for the work of it. Uh, And I called him and I was like, okay, 
maybe you were right. Like, I would like to have lunch so we can talk about it because I need some advice. And, you know, maybe you can let me come back a little bit <laughs> so I could, <laughs> like, bit. make some more. It's like, I a part-time basis so I could, like, get some money. Temp status. And so, I, and so I told him I wanted to go to lunch. And we make the date. We go to lunch. You know, during lunch, he gives me great advice. Like, you know, gave me, like, a, you know, like a, like the big brother or, like, the older cousin talk. Harsh but it was all right stuff. And the bill comes and he looks at it. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I definitely don't have enough money in my account, you mm-hmm. know, to like cover this bill. There's no way. But I was looking at him like, yo, isn't he gonna pay for this? Like, I can't believe, like, he was my boss. Like, he should pay for it. And plus, I make no money. He should pay for it. But he looked at it and he then he pushed it to me. You know, and he was like, you asked me to lunch. I gave you great advice. You're gonna pay for this lunch. Mm. And I was like, you know, but thank God for delayed technology at the time because I put down my card. I knew that joint was like gonna bounce like a mother. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, I put down my little debit card. They ran it. I signed it. We ran up out of there. Yeah. You know, I I still don't think it cleared, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> you know, all those years later, I just I really appreciated that lesson. You know, which was just like, you know, you gotta you gotta pay for the advice. Or you know, yeah. yeah. After a series of jobs at different places, you end up at Pepsi. Yeah. It was your idea to bring Beyonce in for the halftime oh, show at the Super Bowl? Yes. That can you, was can you tell us like oh, how that man. went down? My relationship with Beyonce started actually back back when I first started working at with Spike. Um, because like I said, I was out in the street, out in the club. Many people don't remember that when she decided to leave Destiny's Child, it was like not people panned her. And so I think now people look at it and think, Oh, that must have been easy for her. And she was always like on top. Um, but at the time she wasn't. She had played Carmen in an MTV special called the, you know, Carmen the Hip Hopera. You know, when Spike asked around the office to all the young people what mm-hmm. they were interested in and what they thought was great, I mentioned that. And he took that idea and created a commercial for Pepsi, uh, in which Beyonce starred as Carmen. And it was her first deal with Pepsi, was her first big like, you know, endorsement deal. And so after I got to Pepsi, uh, I was involved in five deals with her. And the last one was the one with the Super Bowl, with the NFL. Um, the reason why that was really important is, again, I think, you know, we forget a little bit of history in that the last black woman to have been on that stage was Janet Jackson. And her, her, her yeah. nipple was exposed. Yes, the yeah. wardrobe malfunction. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was just such a win. Because there were several things that, of course, were also complicating the matter. One was that, having to prove the fact that a black woman could take center stage by herself with no secondary act, you know, and hold the audience. There was a real argument about that and whether or not that the audience I was watching the Super Bowl would be engaged. Um, The second thing is that that year was Barack Obama's inauguration. And Beyonce sang at his inauguration. She used a backing track. And people said that she couldn't sing, that it was like a scandal. It was going into that Super Bowl with that scandal. And the NFL was, again, very upset about the fact that not only were they nervous about the fact that she could carry the audience or not, but now we have this singing scandal, you know, and Beyonce does what she does best. And uh, at the press conference leading up to the Super Bowl, uh, she asked everyone to rise would you guys mind standing? You know, we walk in. By the way, no one really had an idea about what she was going to do. I definitely thought, again, I thought I was going to get fired. 
Because <laughs> I was like, oh, what this woman gonna do now? She sang the anthem a cappella. was just, I mean, maybe one of the most beautiful musical performances I've, I've ever heard. I mean, she sang the hell out of the song. Oh, it was it was beautiful. It was mm. beautiful. But And then she went on the stage and killed, destroyed it. You know, it was like, it was just, it was just beautiful, you know, and it, it really felt like such a win because it was like, listen, guys, like, again, you know, the emotion and our connectivity as human beings is what's going to win. You know, not the fact that, like, she's black. And will people like connect to her? What a crazy thought. That particular Beyonce deal, as you d- described, was a was a major win, but it also coincided with what would become a colossal loss for you personally. Your, yes. At the time, your husband was diagnosed yes. with cancer. You say that he gave you the gift of urgency, and you've you've spoken about how that informed your career. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious how how it affected your relationship with him. And what things you did together urgently yeah. in that time? Oh well, 2013. I mean, it w- it was really pivotal. You know, the high of the high with Beyonce at the Super Bowl. I felt invincible. Like we were just, you know, we were living in Manhattan, just feeling great. And then in May, he was diagnosed uh, with Burkitt's lymphoma, which is a rare cancer. By October, we knew that he was not going to survive the cancer. The decision at that point was whether or not he was going to continue treatment, you know, or stop. And we would just try to live every day. He wanted to do everything that he could, that he'd always waited to do. I, on the other hand, was trying to, like, gather the past. And the urgency or the gift of the urgency was that every day he would wake up and there'd be something else that was wrong, you know, because he was losing functionality. And so whatever we could do that day, literally, whatever he could physically do, we would then make the decision and do that thing. And by the way, sometimes it was like simple things, you know, sometimes it was like the, you know, going to like our favorite little cafe one last time, taking that drive in uh, Edgewater, you know, where you can see Manhattan. Yeah, in uh, Jersey. And that, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, such a, it's such a beautiful drive. I never appreciated it. We stopped at uh, this little lookout point. And he proposed all over again, you know, just one last time. Just that's beautiful. And it it just it just uh, really enforced for me the fact that not only do I live urgently, but I don't wait for the experiences. You know, often we say like, oh, you know, in six months I'm gonna do this, or you know, in two years when I have enough money I'm gonna da 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 da. No, you know, it's like, why are you gonna wait? Just do it. He passes, and I don't know how shortly after or how long after. You get approached and solicited by Jimmy Iovine to join Beats in Los Angeles. Now it's like a complete change of scenery. Yeah, was it helpful to to change locations with your daughter after? Absolutely, absolutely. Because everything in Manhattan reminded me of him. Mm -hmm. And what Jimmy did, which was you know three months after Peter died, was uh, he aware of that? 
Who, Jimmy? Was Jimmy aware that He was not husband? aware before we had lunch. Uh-huh. So he's <laughs> coming was, at you just yeah, because Yeah, he's coming he thinks, at me like, you know, you're, you're a great like, marketer. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted someone who, he was building Beats Music on top of Beats Electronics, right? And he wanted a, a marketer who understood, you know, big brands who also understood the intricacies of pop culture and mm-hmm. put those two things together. And so he was just he was just interested in me. And then I sat on his couch and I was like, this is like the worst time of my life. You know, I was like, I've just I'm not only afraid, I am very sad. And I don't know that I have the joy, you know, to like actually bring to the to the work that you will need. And he was instrumental to me anyway in my in my healing, really, because uh, he said, you know, well, if you sit in New York and think about the past, you will be stuck there. And he was like, you need something to draw you into the future. And I was like, well, I don't even know what about tech and I, I don't know how to do that. And he was like, well, I don't either. <laughs> you know, he's like, I don't know. He's like, but he's like, but what better way to live than to like go figure it out? Yeah. You know, he was like, do that. He was like, focus yeah. on something else. Focus on something you don't know that you haven't experienced before, a new thing, in a new city. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes that totally makes sense. So I literally left his his house, called my boss, and quit my job. Mm. Currently, you're at Endeavor, which yes. is a little bit different from. The marketing jobs you've had before, a am I right? Bit. So, can you just describe yes, what yes, you're doing yes, yes. there exactly? So, it feels actually like the culmination of a career, <laughs> you know, this Endeavor job because it Endeavor is the parent company of WME, which is the largest talent agency in the world. IMG, which represents a lot of fashion and sports, um, Miss Universe, the UFC, Professional Bull Riders Association, which is based in Pueblo, Colorado, by the way. Uh, and it just it allows me to touch all kinds of silos, you know, in pop culture. I get to do a bunch of stuff with people that I've always dreamt about partnering with, you know, and helping to navigate the next evolution of their careers and their brands. So I'm really excited about that. Do yeah. you get to pick and choose the projects you work on? Um, sort of. Yeah. I'm just curious about the Papa John specifically. Oh, yes. So the CEO, yeah. so so Papa John positions itself as a company as being against the NFL players that were taking a knee. Is that right? Or, well, or was, the, was it C, the, the CEO particularly? The CEO, was it the particularly. former CEO? Yes, the, yes, John right. Schnatter. And he used some rather uh, improper language yes, describing black people. Right. Correct. Right. And then he was Ousted. gone. Yes. Fired. So you come in. Yes. And it's your job to... Do some damage control? Eh, sort no. Of, no. So here's the thing is that I think, you know, that's what it looks like on the surface. Um, what I have, good or bad, fallen into is what I call like corporate activism, you know, because my job is not just my job because I happen to be a black woman. I also end up taking on the responsibilities of driving diversity and inclusion in almost every company I'm at, whether it was Apple or, of course, at Uber and now at Endeavor, where I'm able to do it for other brands, you know? And so when I first heard about this opportunity, I turned it down because I was like, I'm not working with that guy. Mm. No way. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he was fired. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, well, now maybe there is a chance here. Because to me, there's a couple of things that need to happen. When companies face that kind of uh, situation, they have to do everything in their power, right, to essentially rehabilitate 
rehabilitation is not just surface. It can't just be the brand. It's not a new commercial you put on air. There's something wrong with your culture, you know? And there's something wrong with the way that you are operating, which would allow such behavior. Now, So what do you listen, do, say fire 500 people? No, no. I think there, it's, it's so much bigger than that. You know, it's things like economic advancement. You know, so if you have franchisees and you have franchises that are not diverse currently, then how can you create a pipeline to allow for more diversity in franchise communities? I mean, there are black and brown owners of Papa John's who have put their life savings into these stores mm-hmm. and who are losing them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, that, 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 we can't have that happen. You know, and also it's like you've got 700 franchises. How many of them are owned by black and brown people? It's like this company can now have a real position in creating a pipeline that will allow for more diversity in those those lines. Mm. Women's empowerment. How many women are in their executive suite? Not very many. So how can we diversify that? You know, there are some real things that need to happen culturally and structurally in the company that will then allow for the rehabilitation. So that's what I'm doing. Amazing. Much love, yo. (laughs) Thank you. Let's take a little breather, and Uh we're going to jump right back. Okay. 20th Century Fox presenting The Hate You Give, a new film about hope and standing up for what is right. Based on a critically acclaimed New York Times bestseller by Angie Thomas, starring Amanda Stenberg as star with Regina Hall, Russell Hornsby, Issa Rae, K.J. Apa, Algie Smith, Sabrina Carpenter, Common, and Anthony Mackie. Find your voice. Change the world. The Hate You Give in select theaters October 5th and everywhere October 19th. This message comes from NPR sponsor CBS. Mondays, fast cars, beaches, and Aloha shirts mean one thing. Magnum P.I. on CBS. Thomas Magnum is a private investigator with a tendency to wreck expensive cars. Jay Hernandez is Magnum. Check out interviews with the cast, trailers, and sneak peeks. Go to cbs.com slash shows and scroll down to Magnum P.I. Don't miss Magnum P.I. Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, 8 p.m. Central on CBS. Oh, 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 it's the sound of the drums. Boom, boom, bang, bang, boom, boom, congas and bongos and tambales. Wow. That only means one thing. It's time for the impression session. Ooh. And what we're going to do here is super simple. Okay. We're going to play two tracks for you. Uh-huh. Stretch selected one, I selected one. Okay. You react and that's it. Okay. Let's, Sounds let's, good? Let's yes. go with yours first. Mine first. Yeah. Okay. So cue it up, Michelle. I am who I am. You can never change me. Reaching for the sun, remembering the future. Uh, if you're familiar with the artist, it's, it's Blitz the Ambassador. Wow. And the name of his track is Remembering the Future. He was born in Ghana. Yeah. Moved to New York. Amazing. Similar story, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and yeah. the reason why I played it for you is because he has this supreme connection to his homeland, mm. but he has a supreme connection to his new land. Yes. How do you infuse your roots 
from yeah. Ghana in your daily existence? Oh, it's constant. It's constant. You know, I don't think there is um, an opportunity not to be. <laughs> mm. You know that, uh, but I actually credit my parents with that. You know, because when we moved to the U.S., it could have been easy <clears throat> to assimilate. You know, because that's what a lot of immigrants do, right? You try to get into the culture and be that and forget everything you've been. But my mother didn't allow that. You know, she was like, people are going to come into our house. They're going to hear us speak our language. They're going to eat our food and they're going to like it, <laughs> you know? And it, 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 it has absolutely fundamentally been a gift, you know, because I don't hide any parts of myself. I don't, I'm not ashamed of them. You know, it's like when friends come to my house, there's usually jollof on my stove. Nice. <laughs> nice. You know, yeah. and you're gonna eat it. W- whose jollof is better? Uh, the Ghanaians, of course. Ghanaian or Senegalese? Well, well, first of all, the Senegalese have no argument in this fight. Okay, <laughs> seriously. Okay, they say they started it or they created it, whatever. The Ghanaians, and you know, let's give it a little bit to the Nigerians. You know, made it better. Now, between Ghanaians and Nigerians, that's where the war is. Uh-huh. And the Ghanaians clearly <laughs> win. Ours just has more flavor. I'm just saying. In any case, uh, but I, I show up with Ghana on my sleeve, literally. You Word. know, I wear the clothes, I speak the language, I, you know, I, I celebrate everywhere. Word. It's a great song, man. Thank you. I love well, it. You want to get to see we, us? We, we, we're still learning from each other. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, let's drop mine. It's a, it's a little... Uh, Okay, let's hear it. It's a little lighter. Okay. Yeah. Yo, what's up, Kuki? Yo, what up, Set J? Yo, what's up, Trav? What's up, Set man? What's up, man? He's ready to get bit. Oh, Yo, you know what? I like this beat you brought Yo, over. Told you about it. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take it into my ultra laboratory Word, work and hook it, it up. Hook Yo, it up. bust this. Now that's oh, funky. Man, no, I know, I tell you, boy, we all have it. This is so funky that I'm gonna send more back to the turntables and you're gonna follow the rest of the liquid. Yo, get it now. And we're gonna do this. Did you play this for me or for her? So, As the technique turns, so I'm, you will. He won't stop. He's going. He's going. He's going. I need the hook. I know. I know that that California Love Tupac yes. is your anthem. Yes. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this record, but this was the the first record to sample "Woman to Woman" by Joe Amazing. Cocker. Yeah. That's from 1987. That's the Ultra Magnetic MCs, and Oof. actually, Ultra Magnetic song title called "Funky." Ultra Magnetic is a is a group that that Bob and I bonded over when we yeah. first became friends in in, in 1990, 89? Uh, 90, 90. Yeah, yeah. Um, are, you, are you up on that record? No, no, I'm not. See, it's amazing. I, yeah, well, I was thinking, you know, if if like, she, nice Ultra Magnetic. This no, is no, a this great is huge. I mean, this is huge. Like, if I, if, I immediately if, was like, what? If I could walk out of <laughs> this out of this experience what? with you, knowing that that you might become an Ultra Magnetic MCs I mean. fan. <laughs> You're, you feel like I'm winning. Yeah. I'm winning. Okay. You, I, I might feel like you felt after Beyonce did. I mean, right. 
the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show. Yes, this is the winning moment. But honestly, Ultramagnetic is a colossally important yeah. group. Um, wow. They came out with an album called uh, Critical Beatdown. Critical Beatdown, and it's just revolutionary lyrically in terms of production, sampling, sonically, et cetera. Amazing. Yeah. And I like it more than California Love. <laughs> <laughs> How do well, you, you know, feel? I, I just, I actually love this because I, I was not aware, and I, I love learning new things. Uh, but I really love Tupac. Like, I love Tupac a lot. I find it like, you know, I'd love to find, obviously, find the history of things and understanding where things come from. Again, part of the curiosity about how things are made and origins and things like that. Yeah, I love it. Amazing. Thank you. Bozeman, that's our show. I, I'm, I, I just thank you for coming through. Thank um, you. So what's good with Stretch and Bobita? We've had an amazing time with you. and um, Super dope time. And to all our Wesleyan grads yes. out there, yo, we repping out here. Correct. Right? West Tech, Word stand up. up. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That is our show. This podcast was produced by Michelle Lands, edited by Jordana Hochman and Nigeri Eaton, and our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. Music by composer Ellie Escobar and our own Robertino Garcia. <laughs> if you like the show, you can find more at npr.org or wherever you get your podcasts, including bonus video content on Spotify on Fridays. Thanks to Spotify for their support. While you're at it, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we know you are listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Stretch and Bob or Instagram at Stretch and Bobito. Word up. Peace. Peace.